you can now support me financially with a small monthly donation. If you do, I pledge to use your money to buy yarn and coffee. Follow the link in my Instagram bio or in this episode's description to learn more. Thank you and enjoy today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Crocheting Through Medical History. I'm glad that I'm here. I'm at least mostly here. My tummy is kind of sad, um, but I'm drinking a ginger ale. So theoretically, I'll be fine enough. I'm just happy to be here. Sorry for my absence. Um, hopefully, I'm done being sick forever now. And uh, there will be no more interruptions or health problems for the rest of my life. I think I'm over them. Anyway, I don't have the brain space to, like, vamp. So we're just going to get into it. Um, Today, I will be talking about fibromyalgia, like I said I would, like, three weeks ago. Then I didn't. Um, my mother-in-law, Michelle, has been requesting it since I started, and I was scared of it, so I didn't. But I decided to stop being scared and just do it. And it was actually, there was more information than I thought, which was surprising, but that also um, made my poor little sick brain very confused, Um, because I like wanted to understand it and I don't know if I do but it was there so that's good it might also be longer than usual because I have quite a few pages of information here so that's fun uh today I will be crocheting a spoon because of this thing called the spoon theory which is an illustration of energy limitations to go that go along with fatiguing chronic illnesses. This idea, the spoon theory, um, it's the idea that every day you have a certain amount of spoons or energy that you use for certain tasks, like brushing your teeth or making your bed might take one spoon while going to the grocery store or make uh, cooking dinner might take four spoons, and while able-bodied people may have an unlimited amount of spoons to get their tasks done, or at least a very high number, chronically ill people may only have like 10 spoons to get all of their tasks done in a day, and they may not have enough energy to get all their tasks done so they have to prioritize their activities and make sure that they have enough spoons to get what needs to be done done and be okay with not getting it all done. Um, this theory was introduced in 2003 by chronic illness blogger Christine Miserandino. Um, Good Rx has a nice article explaining the theory that I will link in my Instagram if I remember to. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, so yes, I'm crocheting a spoon. Let's get into it. <laughs> in 1592, scientific studies and literature cited muscle pain and stiffness not as a result from injury. Guam de Bayou 
a French doctor named this condition rheumatism. In today's terms, this rheumatism um, uh, meh, encompasses the conditions arthritis, gout, lupus, and fibromyalgia. Over time, this term got broken down into different categories, including osteoarthritis for a condition changing the formation of joints and muscle rheumatism, which does not cause physical changes in the body, but it does cause pain. And this muscle rheumatism is now known as fibromyalgia. Early in the 1800s, Scottish surgeon William Balfour identified certain tender or trigger points, also known as nodules, that were particularly prone to pain uh, with fibromyalgia patients. These areas were most commonly soft tissues in the neck, shoulders, elbows, carpal tunnel, palms, and lower back. Balfour was able to recognize inflammation as an aspect of this pain and noted that the pain could be improved by friction, percussion, and compression of these nodules. In the 1800s, French physician Francois Vallée suggested the pain originating in these tender areas were traveling to and affecting other areas of the body. He named this phenomenon phenomenon neuralgia. Valet and other researchers of the time further investigated pain and its origins, theorizing that the pain began in the muscles themselves and an overactive nervous system accentuated the problem. This is now known as central sensitization. In the 1900s, Sir William Gowers renamed muscle rheumatism as fibrositis, closer to the current day fibromyalgia. Symptoms of fibrositis included pain, fatigue, sensitivity to pressure, trouble sleeping, temperature sensitivity, and flared symptoms after activity. In the 1910s, it was suggested that people suffering from fibrositis and chronic pain rest diligently and, once the pain is more manageable, partake in a light exercise upon waking, but not for more than 10 to 15 minutes at a time. Treatment of fibromyalgia in the 20th century included ionization or placing electrodes on painful areas and combining heat with this electrical current of 15 to 40 milliampers for 20 minutes a day, or if that was too painful, every other day. This treatment is no longer used, but other treatments of the day, such as massage, relaxation, and a healthy diet are still recommended. Fibrositis was thought to be in part caused by the type of underwear a patient would wear and the location of their home. Doctors recommended that patients with fibrositis live in a live at good elevation and above good drainage, which is now understood to be an escape from damp and possibly moldy environments. The research at the time seemed to think that location alone could be a causative factor of the condition that has since been disputed. And I couldn't find more explanation about the underwear but it is known that tight clothing that puts excessive pressure on the body can accentuate symptoms. So perhaps 
tight underwear was that to be a causative factor i don't know though they really glossed over that <laughs> in the 1930s and 40s around the time of world war ii medical professionals noticed the connection between pain and mental or emotional stress some soldiers of the time were experiencing fibrositis, joint and muscle pain, and inflammation without a physical injury. These doctors understood that while these men had not... Oh, excuse me. Phew. These doctors understood that while these men had not experienced physical trauma, the stress, fear, and emotional turmoil of the war was causing their physical pain. Oh, no, causing their physical health to deteriorate. This discovery, though, caused debate among medical professionals about whether their pain was really psychological or purely physical. In the mid-40s, F.A. Elliott proposed that fibrositis pain had a link to the spinal cord and brain, specifically the thalamus. Around this time, E.W. Boland suggested that fibrositis be termed psychogenic rheumatism due to the similarity to other rheumatological conditions without the same physical manifestations in the body tissues. Around the 1950s, a highly reputable rheumatism textbook described how fibrositis could be spurred by a previous infection or injury, but could also be seen with emotional trauma and other psychological factors. At this time, fibrositis was mainly thought to be a condition that caused pain, in the 1960s, however, researcher Eugene F. Trout defined a set of previously unknown symptoms which have turned out to be pertinent in the diagnosis of fibromyalgia today. These symptoms were widespread pain, including pain originating in the spinal axes, aching, stiffness, fatigue, stomach trouble, headaches, poor sleep, tender points, being worrywart worry warts or put more lightly today anxiety and other signs of emotional distress even with these developments though the recommended treatment was still the same as with acute pain including rest immobilization of painful areas and medicating pain with local anesthetics and adrenocortical steroids in the 1970s philip hench renamed fibrositis as fibromyalgia, which broken down means connective tissue and muscle pain. Around this time, Hugh Smith and Harvey Moldovsky continued Hench's work, and Smith defined certain aggravating factors of fibromyalgia, cold, stress, work overload, environmental noise, obesity, and tobacco, to name a few. In the 1980s, Muhammad Yunus expanded the list of fibromyalgia symptoms to include irritable bowel syndrome, swelling, and paresthesia, or a pins and needles feeling. These findings allowed the official criteria of fibromyalgia to be expanded and help doctors differentiate between different chronic pain conditions. 
Later in the 80s, Henning Veroy discovered an increase in cerebrospinal substance P in patients with fibromyalgia, and this was confirmed in 1994 by Erwin John Russell. In 1987, the condition... No, I skipped a line. In 1987, the American Medical Association officially recognized fibromyalgia as a condition, and soon after, the American College of Rheumatology formed an official diagnostic criteria for fibromyalgia. Continuing through the 80s, Research of fibromyalgia continued and experimental treatment of fibromyalgia with antidepressants began. Due to Moldovsky's theory of serotonin deficiency as a reason for interrupted sleep with fibromyalgia, tricyclic antidepressants improved physical symptoms, but also the mental stress that contributed to the symptoms. Eunice also performed a study in which he biopsied muscle tissue from fibromyalgia patients. These biopsies came out normal and supported the research focus being on the nervous system. In the early 1990s, the World Health Organization and the International Association for the Study of Pain recognized and classified fibromyalgia. The 1990s brought the discovery of an abnormal blood flow in the brain of fibromyalgia patients, which alters the way pain messages are created. At the very end of the 20th century, the genetic aspect of fibromyalgia began being researched. Over the next decade, this discovery helped further the treatment protocol and diagnostic criteria of the condition relying less on specific painful areas and more on daily experiences and the elimination of other diagnoses. Apparently, there was a lot more development throughout the 90s and an updated diagnostic criteria in 2010, but my sad little sick brain could not comprehend any more research, so we're not going to get into that. Um, thank you to Pathways.Health for their article, The History of Fibromyalgia, as well as the Scholarly Community Encyclopedia for their article, History Background on the Study of Fibromyalgia Syndrome. I guess that wasn't as much information as it could have been, but I also think I have a fever again because the stress of recording is just so much um so I'm not gonna waste a bunch of time talking because I want to go back to bed (laughs) um before I go though I guess I do want to talk because I have been working on some things first of all uh I have a new Instagram handle in case you don't follow me or actively follow me. I made um, the Instagram account for this podcast, but it has more turned into just a general crochet account, so I wanted a more general handle. Um, I'll still like post pod updates. I have been this week. All that's still there, 
Um, I just didn't want it to be so directly associated with the podcast. So it is now called Maria Makes Makes. Uh, that's just two makes after Maria because it is me making things and the things that I make are called makes. Um, so yeah, go follow me there. If you have a Ribbler account, I'm also Maria Makes Makes on there. And theoretically, in the future, if I ever start selling things on Etsy, I have claimed the handle there as well. So don't look at that yet because I it's not there, but it will be in the future if I decide to sell things. Um, I just had the thought and it left. Let me think. Oh, um, I've been working on some fun crochet things. The thing that is still a surprise, that is my first official pattern, my first official original pattern, um, it's a surprise. We'll get it figured out. I'm working on getting the pattern written down, and then I'm going to ask some Ribbler folks to test it. So if you are a crocheter and on Ribbler or interested in testing this fun, exciting pattern that I worked on, uh, then go make a Ribbler or go look at Ribbler in the testing zone and I will be there eventually once I finish writing it down. I also finished another original pattern, um, that is Spot the Dog from the, like, kids book series, like, Where's Spot? Or Spot Goes on a Walk or something. There's a dog called Spot that's yellow and has brown spots. So his name's Spot. Um, I made that little doggy to go with the book that I got for a baby shower that I'm going to over the weekend, assuming I can person again by then and not go around with like a fever. Um, so yeah, there's that. Maybe that's it. Oh, I finished a test, my first test, not my first test, but I tested a little strawberry cow pattern for, I believe she is crocheting by Margaret on Instagram. It's real cute. I posted a picture to my story. I will also post a picture of Spot. And when I finish the spoon, which has like two-thirds of a handle, so I'll probably finish it as I'm finishing up editing the clips of these recordings. Is that it? That might be it. Once again, I feel like I had something else to say and it went away. So n none of that, I guess. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you for being patient with me as I struggle with illness. I will do my best to be here next week, but no promises because I seem to always get sick on Wednesdays. So you'll have little notice if I'm not um, I don't know what I'm talking about yet. I have lots of ideas and a list to choose from. But if you have any, feel free to message me on Maria Makes Makes on Instagram to give me your suggestions or comment. Um, but I also have a lot. So I will have plenty to choose from if you don't. But just in case you do, feel free. Yes, thank you for being here. Stay safe, stay healthy. And I will see you next week. Goodbye.